This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, no. So anyway, so I'm very, very excited, of course, because tomorrow my book is coming out. Um, and my right Malotov definitely. And um, it's interesting because it says it says in Pekayovos, can um you should make yourself a rabbi. And you should buy a friend. So they ask, what does it mean you should buy a friend? And they say, a friend is a safer. You should buy yourself a safer. So I'm going to get a lot of new chaverim. But I'm very, very excited. It's coming out tomorrow. I think it's, I think it'll be in the bookstores Friday. I'm not sure tomorrow, Friday, but um, it's um, the book is called Let There Be Rain. That's the name of the book, Hakar Satov. And the reason it's called Let There Be Rain is because the first mention of Hakar Satov in the Torah is the Rashi that says that the plants did not grow because there was no one on earth to daven for rain and show Hakar Satov. So the first time the word Hakar Satov is mentioned is in a Rashi. And it's, um, and it's even before Adam was created. And that is, um, let there, let there be rain so that when Adam, actually it's after Adam's created, Hashem didn't let it rain, didn't let anything grow from the surface until there was a person in the world to show Akar Satov. Because Akar Satov is the basis of all relationships. So that is the, the Sefer that I wrote together with Rabbi Finkelman. We're very excited about it being put out by Art Scroll. I'm also very excited, but it won't be out for a little while. Probably, I believe September 7th is, which to me is, the book is very big, don't get me wrong, but the Sefer Zichronos um, is like the greatest chus that I, I never even dreamt of because I'm writing a book. I wrote a book, but all of you are going to write a book because if you buy the Sefer Zichronos and every day you write in it something that someone did good, some Hakar Satov, then Be'ezrat Hashem, at the end of the year, you have written a book. So you can all write a book. And I'm going to be a little part of that book. And um, I was interviewed today and um, the interviewer asked me, why do you think Hakar Tov is the most important midah? Maybe being kind, maybe not getting... Her question, her question to me was, you wrote a, you wrote a book on this trait of, of gratitude. Why do you think gratitude... Why don't you write a book about anger, controlling your anger, right? Or not being cheap. Why do you think that gratitude is so important that you wrote a book specifically on this Mida? And I explained to her that a person who has gratitude will not get angry. Because what am I getting angry at? If I appreciate, right, one of the, one of the biggest lessons, <coughs> which I believe is in the book, but one of the biggest lessons in the Torah is the lesson of the Hamar that the Hamar that Bilam had that spoke. So this Hamar kept seeing, this donkey kept seeing a Malach was in its way. So it went to the left, it smashed Bilam's leg. It went to the right, it went through a bunch of thorns. Right? So Bilam was beating him every single time. So finally Hashem opened the mouth of the donkey. What the donkey should have said is, why are you beating me? There's an angel with a sword standing in front of us. He's going to chop my head off. Right? That's what he should have said. Because that's what was going on. But he didn't say that. He said, haven't I always been there for you? So if I've always been there for you, and I've never done this before, shouldn't you think that something's going on? 
that I'm doing this. In other words, I've always been there, and all of a sudden I'm not there for you. Must be something's going on. So why did you hit me these three times? Why did you just tell him? There's a malach in the way. And the answer is that God would not open the mouth of a donkey to tell Bilam that there's a malach in the way. He, God's not making a miracle for that reason. But to teach us gratitude, akar satov, that it's worth opening the mouth of a donkey. So the donkey said to Bilam, I've always been there for you. I've always been there. So if I'm not there now, why are you beating me? What does that mean? That means that if you recognize, let's say, a girl asks him, you know, her mother says, I, I, I'm not letting you go tonight to the party. I'm not letting you go. And the kid's like screaming at her mother and yelling and she's angry at her mother. But if she would sit for a second and say, one second, my mother does everything for me. She makes my bed, she does my laundry, she makes my lunch, she takes care of my food, she takes care of me all the time. If she's telling me that I can't go to the, my friend's house, must be that she's worried about something in my friend's house because she's always there for me. So if you recognize the good that someone does for you or that Hashem does for you, then when it's not so good, you'll realize that must be there's a reason for it. And all of a sudden that, that meter of anger, you're not going to get angry at anybody. Because, because why, why am I getting angry? This, you know, this person does good for me also. The same thing, you won't be cheap. If, if you have a karsatov recognition to Hashem that he gave you the money, you don't have a problem giving the money to someone else. If you don't appreciate, you say, I made the money. I did everything. I don't want to give it to anybody else. It's my money. But if you have a karsatov, if you recognize that Hashem gave you the money. So in my interview today, I realized that this midah of a karsatov of, of, of gratitude really will help you with all the other problems in your relationships. All the other midos, anger, stinginess, you know, all those different midos will be fixed if a person has a karsatov. It's, it's really the basis, and, and I, I feel that if everyone has their own book, and they write inside, so it's not like it's a good thing for selling, don't get me wrong, but you have a family of seven, imagine you have five of your children, you have five children, and they're all writing every night in their book. Their little book, their book, something good that someone did for them that day. Their mother, their father, Hashem, whatever it is. And you have these five books being written a whole year in your house. Your five children, and you and your husband. Right? You have these books. And next for Shoshana, forget Wallerstein. You wrote a book. You wrote a book. You wrote a Sefer Zichronos. And then you can tell Hashem, don't look in your Sefer Zichronos. Look at my Sefer Zichronos. Look at all the good things I wrote. It's, it's, it's a crazy game changer. So I'm very excited that, Mitzvah Hashem, I hope to have a part of Thousands and thousands of people's books. Next Rosh Hashanah, Mitzvah Hashem. So, it's a, it's a, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm jumping out of my skin. I can't, I didn't see the book yet. So I wanted, it's coming out tomorrow. I'm like, I hope it's everything I thought it would be. I mean, I read the book, but I didn't see the cover and all that. Very, very exciting. A dream, a dream. Trust me, there was no, no, no one, no teacher in my life that ever thought I would write a book. No Rebbe ever thought I'd write a book. And me, myself, I never thought I'd write specifically on the of any safer and what you need to learn from this is that you can get thrown out of school in third grade and all the other trouble I got into and be told that you'll be that because you did something wrong in high school that you'll end up being nowhere and if you if you believe that you can do and you're a partner with Hashem there's nothing you can't do there's absolutely nothing you can't do there are a lot of old, old people that are going to be very surprised that my name is on a book. My old teacher is going to go like, nah, 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 that can't be the same guy. Well, first of all, my name wasn't Zachary as a kid, so they won't even recognize it. I had an English name. But anyway, I'm very, very excited. But the, the chizik that everyone should get is that 
you have Seattle Shmaya, Hakash you could do you could do anything. So I'm sitting at a wedding. Sunday night. Sunday night I'm sitting at a wedding and it's the chuppah and I love chuppahs. Um, there's a lot I learn from chuppahs. I, one of the things that I do, some people probably think I'm a little strange, but right after I, I, I go up, I make, if you ever watch, right before the boy breaks the glass, all the guys start moving towards the chuppah because you want to say malatav to the father and the boy right away. But that's not really why I moved to the chuppah. I moved to the chuppah because I want to see after the boy breaks the glass, so they lift the veil of the girl. Until then, she has a veil on her head, on her face. So before everybody jumps on her, and all her, her mother and her aunt and the mother-in-law and, and her friends, and everyone jumps on the guy, there's one second where he actually, ha- he hasn't seen her, right, since the Badekin, we, he, he, they pick it up, and he looks at her, and she looks at him, and it's a very interesting second, because the band started already, na 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 right, and everyone's jumping, and that one second, there's no one else in the world but those two. They look at each other, and they see each other, and there's like, all the noise and everything, and then everything comes crashing down. Everyone's jumping all over them. That one second that all this noise and everything is going on and they just see each other. So when Mashiach comes, I learned this a long time ago, and that's why I like to see this. It says when Mashiach comes, Hashem is going to be, whatever this means, Hashem is going to be on Harabayas, that's our house. Like he's bringing the kala to the house. The Jewish nation is going to be marching through Yerushalayim up to the Harabayas. And all the guys in the world who don't like us right now are going to be standing on the sides. Actually, they're going to get up like the Hassan and Kala. They're going to get up. And God and us will look at each other. That God will look at us that we're the only people, nation on the world. And we will look at him like he is the only God being in the whole world. And I don't know exactly the party and what's going to happen and, you know, exactly what's going to happen after that. But there's going to be that look where Klai Yisrael and the Shechina will be beyichud. No matter what's going on. And the rest of the world is going to stand on the side and have to wait. And that, I'm trying to chap, what is that going to look like? So the only way I can chap it is, understand it, is by looking at human beings. It's amazing. That moment's a crazy, it's a crazy moment. And in Mitzvah Hashem, we'll, we'll, we'll see that moment very, very soon. Right? Very, very soon. Okay, so I'm sitting at this wedding. I'm getting off the subject. I'm sitting at this wedding and they had a five-piece by the chuppah. They don't... They don't usually have this. They had five-piece um, string section, violin, cello, right? So they had these four four women. Three of them were playing violin. One was playing cello. Russians, very very talented musicians, and and one guy playing violin. And I'm sitting there, and they're playing this chopper music, and the cello's walking down. Forget about it. it's like craziness, right? Spirituality is like on its highest level, and you're hoping that nobody's talking. It's very important to have a quiet chuppah. Someone said that that uh, that uh, that uh, if someone's very machped in, in talking by not talking by davening and very machped in minion, his chuppah will be quiet. I don't know if that's true or not because today with all the cell phones and everything, but chuppah is supposed to be quiet. Anyway, so I'm sitting there and I'm watching them play. I'm, I'm a musician, so to me, music is. I get very into the music, and they're playing. I mean, violin is, as far as I'm concerned, violin is the most beautiful instrument in the world. It. it a drum bangs, I'm a drummer, a drum bangs, a guitar wails, a trumpet is a trumpet, a violin sings. It's an instrument that sings. It sort of cries. It's, it, I don't know how to explain that to you in a musical term, but a violin sort of, sort of cries in a beautiful way. And I'm sitting there and I'm watching them all play, which is all godless altogether. 
right? And they're playing whatever they were playing. And I'm looking at the strings. I think a violin is four. Guitar has six. Violin is four or five. I'm not sure. I think it's four. Four, four right? Four strings. And I'm watching them play. And I'm watching. And I'm like, I think I said, hold on. Hold on a second. Those are strings. Strings don't make noise, right? If you, you take my tits right, this, this doesn't make noise. So strings are making such beautiful sound. And, and for the first time in my life, and I'm listening to music a long time, I'm like, that is amazing that you made the ability of strings, right? Make it very tight, put them on a piece of wood. You gave the ability of strings to give the human being enjoyment to listen to such beautiful music. It's coming out of strings. Plain old strings. That's what they are. Wire, strings, whatever. And I was sitting there and I was like, what godless? I'm sitting there saying, it's amazing. Look how these women, right? I always wanted to play violin. It's not the kind of guy to play violin. But I always wanted to play violin. And and I'm like, look at the godless of a human being being able, the way they were playing together, look at the godless of a human being, how they're playing this violin. And then all of a sudden I realized, no, 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 that's godless, don't get me wrong. But the godless is not the human being, ladies. The godless is God in two ways. One, he made strings make music. Two, he gave the human being the ability to be able to play the music. So the person is this the extension of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. He gave the human being the ability, and they're reading these notes, which on a piece of paper, it's just a piece of paper, that because it was Jewish music, and I don't, I don't think they were Jewish musicians, they were union musicians, and they're reading this piece of paper, and, and, and the notes have no meaning to me whatsoever. And, and they're reading these notes, and they're playing the song perfectly, and I'm like, he gave the human being the ability to, to write notes, to read notes, to be able to play, and, and not make any mistakes, and to make strings that make this kind of sound, and I'm like, I turned around and I said, how many people in this chuppah have any recognition or thankfulness to Hashem that he made strings be able to make music? How many people sitting in this chuppah appreciate that God gave the human being the ability to play music? And nobody was focusing on that. Nobody was thinking about that. And I said, that's hakaras hatov. The word hakara is recognition. So sitting at a wedding... Listening to music and being able to recognize the godliness of music, the instrument, plus the human being who's playing it, plus the people, the person who wrote the notes, right? Who's not always, I don't think you have to be a musician always to write notes, but, right? All that, to, to be able to sit there and appreciate even for one minute, that's a karsatov. And that's what we don't have, me included. This time I copped it, but that's what we don't have. There's so much going on in the world. We don't have this recognition of this beauty that you're sitting at a wedding and you're listening to music. I'm not talking about the blaring jumping music. You listen to this most beautiful thing, a hundred strings, a hundred violins. It's, it's, it's mind-boggling. So, just, just something that happened at the wedding. I just want to share it with you. Okay. Now, something that happens Monday afternoon. This girl walks into my office. Somebody asked me, how do you give, like, how do you give so many shirim and they're all different? Like, you know, there are many very famous speakers and they have a certain amount of speeches and that's it. I'm like, because I give a speech about every day in my life and every day it's very, very different. So I had a little different, I had a little different day this week. Um, a lot of atheism, a lot of kids coming in like, I don't believe in God from, from homes. I don't know. I don't know what happened this summer. Maybe it's in the water. I don't know what happened. So, so this, this kid walks, this kid walks into my office 
It's a girl who was in a 10th grade Beis Yaakov, had a really bad summer, fell really drastically. She walks into my office, she's in a short skirt, she's wearing the most ridiculous earrings I've ever seen. She's wearing a headband in the summer. Um, I had to put my sunglasses in on because of the color of the clothing that she was wearing. Right, I, It was like so bright. Ridiculous. She looked ridiculous. I'm not even talking about the not sneeze part. She just looked ridiculous. But you don't tell that to someone who walks in to talk to you. So I'm sitting there and I'm like, we're talking, we're talking. And I'm like, I just got to ask you something. Like, I did it nicely. I said, like, the getup that you're wearing, like, is this like an actress that you're following or a rock star? Like, is this something you put together on your own? Like, <laughs> she said, why do you care? Why do you care? I'm like, no, no, I don't care. I said, but, you know, I deal with kids. And I always study children and I study teenagers. So, why? Just tell, you know, you knew you were coming to see me, Rabbi Wallerstein. You got dressed like this, not by accident. This didn't happen by accident. You couldn't even do this by accident, right? So, so tell me why. And she's totally aggravating her parents to the end of the world because they're really from people. And she goes... Why? Because I'm not like you. Ooh. Okay, feisty. I like that. Right? I said, yeah, you're not. I really wouldn't look good in a skirt. I'm not, you're not like me at all. She goes, no. You and my parents, you're all the same. You're all the same. You're like a bunch of sheep. I'm different. Okay, we've talked about that before, right? I said, you're different. Why are you different? Because you get dressed like this? That's right. I don't look like everyone in Borough Park. And I don't want to say the name of the school. I don't look like all the other girls that are going back with their uniforms. I'm different. I'm like, you're not different at all. So what do you mean I'm not different at all? I'm like, you're the same? You have to hop this, girls. You're the same as all the different people. You're part of the group called different. So I'm part of a group called the same. You're part of a group called different. We're both part of a group. I said, you're the same as everyone that's different. This poor kid, I, play, I twisted her head around. I said, you're, right? You're being different because you want to look different. So there's a whole bunch of people that don't want to look the same as us. They also want to look different. So you're part of the same group of different people. She's like, I don't sure, I'm not sure I understand you. I'm like, you want to be different. That's a group of people that want to be different. So you're the same as all those different people. So really, you're no different than I am. You're exactly the same as I am. I as, I'm the same as other people and you're the same as different people. You're not, you're not different than anyone else. I said, you're like a bunch of other kids I met in the last eight weeks. Don't go walking around and think that because you dress like this, that you're different. You're not different. You're the same as all different. I thought I'd share that with you. I have no idea why, but I thought I'd share that with you. So anytime you think you're different and you're making a roishim, you're, you're showing everyone, ha I'm, I got my own thing. I do my own thing. You're not doing your own thing because there's a bunch of other people doing their own thing. So you're part of a group that's doing their own thing. So you're not doing your own thing. Okay.
I have to get your heads working before I start the Gemara today, right? So, so people, she walked out of there. She had no idea if she was different or the same or whatever it was. But Lamaisa, people, people think that I don't want to be like everyone else. But the truth is, you're being like everyone else. That's being like you that doesn't want to be like everyone else. So in the end, you're being the same as everyone else. If you follow me, fine. If you don't follow me, it's fine also. All right. What? Oh, great. I, I don't I don't want it because she might be watching whatever it is. I spent two hours. Somebody else sent her to me. I spent two hours with her. And she actually, before I got here, texted me and said, when can I talk to you again? So I told her, Mitzvah Shem, next week. So that was very good because everyone thought nobody could talk to her or whatever it is. Just have to, just have to talk, you know, circles until they get so dizzy they don't know what you're talking about anymore no I whatever we talked a lot about Hashem and and, and Yiddishkeit and and she has a lot of questions and I told her I had a lot of questions and that she was very turned off because um, she asked someone who's supposed to know the answers and the person sort of made a joke out of it and she was very turned off because of that and um I explained to her that I had my questions on the butterfly as a kid growing up, and my Rebbe told me you're not allowed to ask questions, and the, later on I found out that the Zaira says that the butterfly is a proof of, of Tchiesa Mason because it dies and it becomes, you know, becomes a chrysalis and it comes back. I said, if I would have walked out when my Rebbe said, you don't ask questions, then I wouldn't be here today teaching in Ornav, and we showed her the butterfly pictures, and we talked about the, the pearl, and we talked about the, the um, what do they call those things that light up? The bugs. Fireflies, so all the different things that Hashem creates, and it was it was interesting. She had some very good questions. She really had some very good questions. So um, you gotta you gotta let people ask questions, and if you don't know the answer, you gotta say I don't know the answer. But you gotta yeah, Baruch Hashem was much better than I thought it would end up because the person who sent it to me said I'm sending to you, but don't don't I don't expect you to, be, to do anything, but we'll give it a try. So she she called me that she wants to talk to me again. That's a very good sign. Baruch Hashem. It's not me. It's just being real. That's all. Just got to be real. And if you don't know something, you say I don't know something. And there are questions that I I don't know. I'm not on a level. My brain only works to a certain level. You know, I, I don't know how splitting of the atom, how that blew up Hiroshima either. I didn't study it. I don't know it. So if somebody asks me, I'm not going to try to explain it to them. I don't know how a plane flies either, but I still fly on planes. So there's, there's a certain amount that, that a human being you can't you can't be you can't have a relationship with Hashem and have a Muna. If you are going to think that you can understand God, it's just you're just on a different level. And I, and I'm not such a bad guy, but to think that that I have to understand God, He's just on a different level than I am. I don't understand Him. I don't need to understand Him. He needs to understand me, but I don't need to understand Him. That's for sure. Hashem understands us. I, I have to know who who He came from, how He came from, where. We, what do I care? It doesn't make a difference in my life, right? Just like like I always say, my pet goldfish has no idea where I came from. Doesn't know where I was born. Doesn't know what car I drive. But it knows I feed it. And it knows I take care of it. It knows I clean its tank. That's it. Because that's because I'm the caretaker. Hashem is our caretaker. I don't need to know. There are questions that you, you cannot answer. Yeah. The, a human being has to come to the realization that our brain function can only figure, can only, you know, we can't see emotions. Right? Nobody in this room can see emotions. You can see someone smile and they hate you. You can see someone crying and you think they're in so much pain and they're crying in laughter. Talk about crying. As I walked in here tonight, a girl from Ateras Nava, Baruch Hashem, just gave birth. And her mother called me to tell me that she just gave birth. And she said it was the scariest moment of her life. The baby came out and wasn't crying. It wasn't crying. And she thought it would be crying. And they were banging it and it wasn't crying. She said, 
Until she heard that cry, she thought she was going to have a heart attack. I said, you see, sometimes crying is a proof of life. Not always is crying a bad thing. You were waiting for that cry. What? Methodist. But anyway, Baruch Hashem, big, beautiful. We're very, we're very happy. So, so yeah, so, so, so you can see someone crying, and, they, and they're crying from, from happiness. So you can't see emotions. So you're, we're, we're so nobodies that we can't even see something that we have. We have emotions. Imagine how easy it would be for the Shidduch world. You're going out, you wouldn't have to try to figure out if the guy likes you or not. If you can see his emotions, you'll know right away. You won't have to go out five times to find out that he doesn't like you. You know the first date, right? Or if he does like you. So we don't see emotions. We don't feel emotions. We don't smell emotions. We don't taste emotions. God did not create us with any equipment to deal, to be able to measure emotions. So am I going to get crazy about it? No, I can't do it. I'm not, Hashem did, my eyes don't see it. I don't see it. I can't see it. So there has to come a realization. And that's really all the kids that I was speaking to. You have to come to a realization at a certain point that no, you will not understand everything Hashem does. He's just on a different level. You don't, you don't see in this room, there's a lot of germs, right? You don't see them because you don't have a microscope. If you had a microscope, you'd be able to see it, but you don't have a microscope. You can't see it. We don't have the microscope to see Hashem. To, 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 to understand all what he does. You can see him through flowers, you can see him through music, you can see him through a lot of different things. But we don't have the tools, so there has to come a point where a person just says, I don't understand. And if you're gonna, you're not gonna come to that point, then you're not gonna believe in Hashem. Because Hashem is on a, just a different, any, any creator that created the human being and created this world has to be on a different level. Because we, right, and I always challenge scientists and atheists, to this day, the human being, right, human being, who wants to understand how Hashem came to be and what He's doing, we have never created anything. Do you know that? We have taken things and put them together and made something out of it. We have never created, you, you do your chemistry, right, the chart, you know the chart in chemistry, all those different things, those molecules. We have never created one of them. We cannot add one to the box. Chromium, I don't want to show off. But anyway, right? We have never created one of them. So, so if you didn't, you never create, you, you never created anything. We never created anything. We made a rocket ship. We did things, technology, but we took the items that are in the world, the metal, the, whatever, whatever's in the world, we use, but we never created a neutron, a proton. We never created a, a bacteria. We took bacteria, we made them get weird and turn into all kinds of other bacteria. We have never created anything. So if you never created anything, how, how could you expect, the human race expect, to understand a creator? If you're a creator, you could say, I'm a creator, so I've, I want to understand another creator, but we're not a creator. We just take things that are created and we put them together. So, so, why do you, why do you think you can understand the creator when you have not created anything in the world? So that, that, you have to come to that point. If you don't come to that point, you will never have the moon in the relationship with the Kurdish Baruch. If you think you're going to understand God, you're not going to understand God. Moshe Benu asked Hashem, can I see your face? Hashem said, no. You're not going to understand me. You can see after what I do, the back. You can see the reaction. You can't, you can't see the, you can't, you can't see my face. So that's a, that's, that's what I've been very busy with this week. But anyway, I want to want to tell you a story um, that I hear every single year in the summer by a friend of mine, uh, uh, someone named Gabby off from Lakewood. So it, it talks about this week's Pasha. Um, it talks about judging, honesty, 
shaitim v'shaitrim, the police force, and the judges, and how important they are, and that how honest we have to be, and Bezdin, and all these different things. I want to tell you a crazy, true story about honesty. So there, there was this, there's this young man in my bungalow colony, he's not there anymore, but he was there for many, many years. And every year, after Shachris, on a certain day, he would make a big su'uda. We'd sit down, herring, and all kinds of good things. He'd make a kiddush. Why did he make that kiddush? Because he was, many years ago, was coming up Route 17 on a Sunday morning from New York and with two other boys. And the boy that was driving fell asleep and went off a cliff. And the car rolled down. I, I know exactly where it is on 115 on the way down. Terrible, terrible. Rolled down the embankment all the way down this cliff. Um, one boy got killed on the spot, went through the windshield. He was trapped in the car and had severed one of the main veins in his thigh, which is that, and you bleed out. You pretty much bleed out that, that main vein. There were, there were people that saw the car go off the cliff, go off, go off the thing. So they, they, they ran down. One of them was, was thrown from the car. He wasn't alive anymore. They went to the car and he was bleeding to death. So they, they did a tourniquet right away. They took it out and they tied it above the thigh. And to make a long story short, they, they, they carried him up. They took a helicopter. They, whatever. He's alive. He lost, I think, 80% of the blood in his body. Okay? So he was like left with a, a certain amount of blood you can, and then you die. He was left with, mamish that amount. That amount, they got him to the hospital, transfusions, everything else. Anyway, the Meister was a miracle. It was a miracle that they saved his life. And this boy, Gabriel, he lives in Lakewood. He's okay today, whatever. And it's also the yard site of that boy. The same day he's making the Suda for, save, for his life being saved, the boy that died is, is his yard site. So he gets up every single year. Now you have to hear this. He gets up every single year and he says, I want to tell you the importance, this unbelievable story, the importance of honesty. Listen to this. He was 17 years old when this happened. His, his sister was having an operation. And they needed, it was in, in those days was the time of the blood, you know, the, 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 the problems with the blood, with, you know, being very scared of AIDS and everything else. So you don't want a blood transfusion from anybody, you want it from your family. So his sister was having an operation on that Friday. Okay, he was going up Sunday morning, he's having an operation on that Friday. And she needed blood. And his parents are yekas. They're like very honest, they're, they're yekas. And he was being 18 in, I don't know, two weeks, three weeks. And you can't give blood unless you're 18 years old. So he told, he, he told his mother, they're not going to know the difference. I'm, I'm, my birthday is anyway in two, three weeks. Just tell him I'm 18. You know, why are we going to take blood from someone else? He had the same blood as his sister. His mother said, no, I can't sign the form. It's not, it's not honest. I, I can't, you can't give the blood. He says, ma, it's three weeks to them. Today, they don't care. 18, 17, you know, my Hebrew birthday, whatever. He's like, his mother's like, this is the law of the land. I'm not letting you. The doctor said, had he given his sister a pint of blood, 
he would he would have done, he would have been dead because that pint of blood he would have given it takes a certain amount of time I believe it's a month to reproduce that blood or whatever it is so he says had I he says every time he makes this suda he says I want you all to know that had I bent the law a little bit and I thought I was going to be a tzaddik giving my sister the blood but the law said you're not 18 right he said the doctor said a pint of, you, you would have been dead because you wouldn't have enough blood in your body so his honesty right he thought I'm going to help my sister it's a mitzvah no tzaddik 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 it says 18 it means 18 he said I would have given that pint of blood there's no way I would have been alive because I just they just I just had enough blood in my body they said another drop of blood out of your body you would have been dead so if you would have had a, less a pint forget about it you have to be honest tzaddik 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 even if you think that I'm going to be dishonest to do a mitzvah here look at this and what was he dishonest? Just his birthday, giving blood. He wasn't cheating. And it was just three weeks. Would have killed him. He would have saved his sister and would have killed himself. Every year, every year he makes that su'uda. Every year he makes that su'uda. And he says, thank you Hashem that you gave me. This is what he says. Thank you Hashem that you gave me parents that were honest. Because he would have done it. Thank you Hashem that you gave me parents who were honest. If you wouldn't give me parents that were honest, I wouldn't be here today. Maybe we take a story. Got to be honest. You'll never get punished for being honest. Okay, that story I never said here before. Now, why does Rabbi Wallstein have three Gemaras? So the reason I have three Gemaras is as follows: we're, go- we're in El, we're in El, and everybody wants to have a good Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, and we want to have a good Judgment Day, and everything in the. Everything by Hashem is judged. Mida connected mida. The way you treat someone else, the way you treat something else, that's the way you get treated. You can be the biggest tzaddik in the world, but if you treat people badly and if you judge very strictly, then they're going to judge you the way. That's that's what it says in Masana Torah. Viyad kol boy, you the way you treat everyone else is the way we're going to treat you. So eh, sometimes people come to you, they need a favor, and they really don't deserve it. You do it anyway, they hurt you, and you're doing them a favor anyway. So then in Shemaim, even though you might have hurt Hashem, so to say, you didn't have Veira, but Hashem's going to say, Mida connected Mida, she helped someone who hurt her, so I'm going to help her, even though she hurt me. So everything in Shemaim, that's the way it works, especially in judgment, Mida connected Mida. So this, I'm going to learn with you girls tonight some Gemara. The Gemara, if you want to look it up in your Shas at home, it's on, um, Pei Hei, 85, Hey, hey. Omen Aleph, the first side of the page. The Gemara is in Baba Metziah. You know, look it up. All right. So, the Gemara is talking about Yisurim. The Gemara is talking about pain. Omar Rebbe. There was a very famous Tana. His name was Rebbe. He wrote the Mishnah down. His name was Rebbe Yehuda Hanasi. Omar Rebbe. Chavivin. Yusurin, how beloved is suffering. Kibel Elei Kleisishnei. He then accepted 13 years of suffering upon himself. What kind of suffering, girls? Shish Bitsmirta. Six years of Tsmirta. You know what Tsmirta is? Tsmirta is a kidney stone. Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi had a kidney stone for six years. I had it for a couple of hours. 
I said, Hashem, please take me out of this world. I never felt such pain in my life. Now, Rabbi Yehuda Nasi had it for six years. Okay? And some say it was seven years. Shiva Bitsmirta Vashis Bitsfarna. Okay, he, su- he suffered a lot. Okay. Now he says, you want to know how much suffering, how much pain Rabbi Yudha Nasi was? The stableman, the guy who took care of the stable, the horses, in Rabbi Yehuda Nasi, we know Rabbi Yehuda Nasi was very, very wealthy. So the stableman of Rabbi's house, was, was wealthier, the stableman in Rabbi Yehuda Nasi's house was wealthier than the king of Persia. Okay? That was the guy who worked for Rabbi Yehuda Nasi. When he would, when he would throw fodder to the animals, they had a lot of animals, fodder is food, right? The, the animals were so excited about the food, they, they made a lot of noise, they stampeded, they made a lot of noise, that it would travel three miles. The noise of the animals, when he fed them, traveled three miles. The stablemen would schedule to, to feed the animals, to make this noise, at the same time, at the same time that Rebbe went to the bathroom. Okay? Why? In order to drown out the screaming and yelling of the pain that Rebbe was going through when he went to the bathroom. So he didn't want anyone to hear this. So he brought all these animals at the same time, made all that noise, so nobody should hear that Rebbe was screaming at the top of his lungs. Wait till you hear what Rebbe did wrong. So this, that, what, why? What this big tzaddik did wrong that this happened to him? He says, with all that, Rebbe screaming was louder than the animal's noise. Even the sailors on the sea would hear him screaming. Okay? So he was in a lot of pain. Now, Gemara says that Rabbi Elazar, the son of Rav Shimon, his suffering was more than Rebbe's. But his came from love and left through love. Rebbe's came, the reason he was punished came through an event, something he did wrong, and left as a result of an event. So now let me tell you girls why Rebbe was punished 13 years, seven of them with kidney stones, that he yelled so loud that all the noise of the animals could not Everybody heard that. So he, he was in crazy pain. So what could have he done wrong? Rebbe was a tzaddik, right? Listen to what he did wrong. It's an amazing, amazing story. So he says the following. He was once, there was a calf, a young, a young, uh, a young, a young cow that was being led to the slaughter, was being led to the shechita. They were taking it to the slaughterhouse. Veal, right? Young, a young calf. It broke away from the people that were taking it for the Shechita, and it went under the jacket of Rebbe. In other words, it was hiding. This Nebuchadnezzar, this poor little thing, calf, was hiding under Rebbe's jacket, whatever the long coat that he was wearing. Okay? So I guess it knew it, knew it was going to get shechted. It knew where it was going. So also tell the Rebbe, for the Rebbe, he put its head amongst the folds of Rebbe's garment, and it began to cry. The little shepherds began to cry. Began to cry. Because they didn't want to be, it didn't want to be slaughtered. Amale, Rebbe said to this little calf, Zil Zata. 
What are you crying about? Go! For this is why you were created. You created to be veal chops. So what are you crying about? Oh, said, Omre, they said in heaven, since he does not show mercy on this animal, he has no mercy, he tells the animal, you're created to die? Let him suffer. Let him suffer. So the question is, everyone, what's the, what's the Mida Kenega Mida? He didn't make the animal suffer. Mida Kenega Mida, why is he suffering? Because he said that. So, so the Mepharshim say that really they wanted to kill him in Shemayim. Why? Because, what does it say in the Mishnah Perkei You're born to die. The person's born to die. Right? You're born to die. So you're telling this animal, what are you crying about? Why are you crying? You're supposed to die. So in Shemayim they said, oh, well you're also supposed to die, Rebbe. You're also created to die. So you just passed it on yourself, right? You just passed it on yourself that if you're created to die, that's what you're created for, you should die and it shouldn't, it shouldn't bother you. So they went in Shemayim and said, so then you should also die. You also created to die. You should die now also. But because he was Rebbe and he was such a big tzaddik, he said, no, we're not going to kill him. But we're gonna, we're gonna put him through this pain. So all this pain that he had was because he told a, a, a young, a, a young cow, hey, what are you crying about? You're a veal chop. What do you, what, 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 why does it bother you? That's why he was punished. So now why did it stop after 13 years? How come he didn't have this till the end of his life? So the Gemara goes on. And the Gemara says, one day, how they cut Kenosha Imte de Rebbe Besa. Rebbe's maidservant was sweeping the house. There was a litter of baby weasels, like mice, right, or hamsters, whatever. And she threw them on the floor, and she was going to kill them. Shavikinu, Rebbe said, leave them alone. She said, why should I leave them alone? They're, they're, they're weasels. He said, because the Pasuk says, that Hashem has pity on all his creations. And therefore, you should leave it alone. And that says, the Gemara says, because he said that, Hashem said, now you have Rachmanus on my beings, you have Rachmanus on my, on my, uh, on my creations, now I have Rachmanus on you. Umre, they said in heaven, since he shows mercy, let us show him mercy. So we see from this Gemara, how careful a person has to be when it comes to God's creations. Surely, a human being. Surely you have to have pity. And, and this is something I spoke about once before. It doesn't mean just mean pity. You, you go to a, you, you go to a, a restaurant, right? You go to Kosher Delight and they have this guy that cleans up afterwards, this Pakistani guy that cleans up, right? So everybody leaves their plates. And I had my class in, they all left their plates. And I said, why aren't you cleaning up? At home you clean up. And they're like, yeah, but this guy was, is being paid. He's hired to be a cleanup man. That's what he's created for, to clean up. That's why he's getting paid. So why should we clean up? No. You have to have Rachmanus on Hashem's Bria. Let him sit and relax, the guy. You throw away your stuff. Even though it's his job. So it's his job. So what? So give him a break. What's so bad about giving him a break? What's so bad about getting up and throwing your, 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 your stuff out that you do at home? It doesn't mean only Rachmanus on animals. It means Rachmanus on people too. Surely if you have to have Rachmanus on animals, what do you do to the animal? Tzabal Chayim? He didn't do what I do as a kid. I, I, I'm still doing chuba. I used to take a magnifying glass and, and with the sun and he used to pop ants. 
and spiders. Yeah, that's what he used to do in camp. You know, like you do with the leaf when you make it go on fire. So I'm asking, I'm, I'm begging them all the time I see an ant, I'm like, please be Michael me. Because after 120 years, when you're in the ground, they're the kings. And you the bug. And they can do what they want. So I'm like, I'm always making peace. I'm always making peace with the bugs. I'm like, don't kill them, don't kill them for no reason. person has to have Rachmanis on, on Hashem's Brias. Look at this Gemara. All he did was talk to it. He said, eh, you're a veal chop anyway. What are you crying about? It's an animal. It doesn't have a brain. Right? No. You can't talk like that. The the, the is and, and and this is what I this is what I always say also about our Karsito. This is very very important. What I'm what I'm this point that I'm making. Did he hurt the animal's feelings by telling him, uh, "You're a veal chop"? The animal didn't understand a word he said, but he he didn't have rachmanis. He said, "You were born for this. You're going for this." He it came out of his mouth. It has nothing to do with the animal. So he's being punished because if that's what you believe, then you don't have rachmanis, and we're not going to have rachmanis on you. It's the same thing with Moshe Rabbeinu not hitting the sand or hitting the, or hitting the water. Water has no feelings. You, you, you sit in your bathtub and, and, and smack the water. It has no feelings. So why couldn't Moshe Rabbeinu hit the water? Right? And the answer is, Moshe Rabbeinu, the water saved you. You cannot hit the water. You. It's on you. I don't need you to say thank you to me. I don't need anyone in this room ever to say thank you to me. People come over to me after the shir, they say thank you. Thank you, Rabbi Wallace, for giving the shout. You don't have to come over. Just, just give you an example, right? Sometimes they stand here for 10 minutes. I'm like, how can I help you? Like, I just want to say thank you. Right? I don't need to thank you. I really don't. I appreciate it. Don't get me wrong, but I don't need to thank you. But you need to say thank you. It makes you who you are. It's not the person who gets to thank you that needs to thank you. Many times your parents are like, no, no, don't worry. You don't have to thank me. I'm your mother. Right? Many times my mother used to say, you don't have to thank me. I'm your mother. No. You're right. I don't have to thank you. You're my mother. But I have to thank you because for me, for my needles, I have to thank you. You talk, I don't need you. are my mother. You don't need to thank you. Right? But I need to say thank you. That, that's very important. So what happened over here is he didn't hurt the animal's feelings. The animal had no idea what he was talking about. But he himself made a comment that had no rachamim. So in Shemayim they said, you don't have rachamim, we don't have rachamim on you. It's not on the animal. Okay. Um, one more Gemara. Not this one. Actually, it's the other one I want to teach you. One more Gemara and we'll let you go. Make sure you buy my book. Next week I'm going to check by raise of hands who bought the book. I'm kidding. All right. So the Gemara says like this. You guys want to ask me a question? I hear a question. Yes. I don't hear you. You have to stand up. I can't hear you. The air conditioning is blowing very loud. Why was he punished for so long, you mean? Because, because until he had Rachmanis on animals, he didn't fix his Avera. So after 13 years, it's that whole story with the weasels. Had he not had Rachmanis on the weasels, he would have had it till the end of his life. That was, that was, I guess, I, I, that was his tshuva. That was his tshuva. But he paid a big price. Rebbe paid a big price. I mean, anyway, the way he handled Yusurim is different than the way we handle Yusurim. But yeah, he paid a very big price. Until, until he got it, what's the, what is the tshuva? The tshuva is when you're in the same position and you react differently. So here, here he was in the same position where weasels in a house, we have to, we kill you. That's what we do. You're a rat. You're a mouse. Whatever. Weasels used to eat the food, used to hurt the children. Very dangerous, right? And she wanted to kill them. And, and he had rachmanis on them. So last time you didn't have rachmanis. 
This time you had Rachmanish. Both of them were going to die. The weasel was supposed to be killed. The, 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 the veal was supposed to be killed. The veal you had no Rachmanis on. Now there's another animal that's about to be killed. And all of a sudden, he learned. But this animal, he said, no, 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 no. Let it live. Let them live. Don't kill them. So he, he did Mida Kenege Mida. Hashem took away his, his, his... If you ask me why didn't two years after the weasels happen, I, I, can't, I can't explain to you how many years he had to suffer to correct the first thing, but he corrected it. He was in the, he was in the same position. And I was thinking of like another Very nice. She said there's Yud, Yud Gimel, 13 meters of, of pity, of Rachamim. He got punished 13 years because he didn't have Rachamim. I'll look it up. If that's, that might be in Tracers. That might be somewhere. That would be pretty cool. That would be pretty wild. Okay, listen, we'll put, we'll send you to Mir Yeshiva. We'll send you to Mir Yeshiva in Israel. Here, your free flight. Anyway, that's very, I like, I like the answer. I don't know if it is the answer, but it's definitely a, I'll take a look at it tonight. It's definitely a good answer. Okay. Um, was he able to what? He had Ruach HaKodesh. But I, I, no, you know what it says? It says in, in Tehillim that you can't take yourself out of the, out of the, out of the hole. So when you're in the hole, you don't have that Ruach HaKodesh to see what's wrong. Yaakov Avinu didn't know that Yosef, could not see that Yosef was, was sold. So, so he was, if Rabbi Yehuda Nasi, even though he had Ruach HaKodesh, when, when you're in trouble, you're Ruach HaKodesh, you can't, it says, it says in Tehillim, a person cannot take himself out of jail. You need someone else to take you out of jail. So he probably didn't know why. He probably did not know why. The Gemara says it though. Anyway, so there's one more Gemara and we'll end with this. The Gemara says the following. Rabbi Omar, Rabbi says, We spoke about this many times. Anyone who is able to break his mida, how would you say mida in English? His traits, his, his traits, mida, mida, right? Anyone who is able to break a mida, Mavirin loy al In Shemayim, they forgive you for all your sins. So if you want to come to Shoshone and Yom Kippur and be forgiven, you have to break a midah. For instance, somebody hurts you, insults you, does something bad to you, and instead of, instead of taking revenge, you do them a favor. That's called marvel midah If you're able to do that, then in Shemayim, they will forgive you for all your sins. How do we know this? So there's a Pasuk, and the Pasuk says, Naysay Avon, God, um, Pardons the person that sins, and he overlooks the sin. The way we look at it, this pasuk is nicely avon, right? He pardons averus, and he overlooks sin. But the Gemara looks at it differently, and the Gemara says, "No, separate the words." This is what you should say: "Nice avon, who does Hashem pardon who doesn't avera? Lemisha oiva al pesha, a person who overlooks." Sins that were done against him. So you, now, you, now you separate the words. Nicey Avon, when does Hashem forgive your sins? Over al pesha. If you're, if you're able to overlook what the other person sinned to you. How the other person hurt you. That's what he says. So he tells a story. The Gemara says, by the way, not all Gemaras have so many stories, but I picked out the Gemaras that have stories. Rav Huna Rav Yeshua Chalash. Rav Huna, the son of Rabbi became very, very sick. 
Rapapa went to Rapapa went to see how he's doing. When when Rapapa saw what Ravuna looked like, he realized that Ravuna was on the brink of death. Amalahu, he said to the people that were there, supply him with the provisions for his journey. What does that mean? Get ready his tachrichim, his his burial shrouds. He's not making it. He's 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 he's, he's almost gone. Rosaif says the Gemara is tapach. He recovered. Ravuna recovered. Rapapa was embarrassed to meet him. Rapapa said to everybody, prepare him for his trip. Now he's, he's totally healed. Rapapa was embarrassed to talk to him because he pretty much told him, said he was going to die. But one day he meets him and he says to him, Amalei, my chazis. He says to him, Rapapa says to him, Ravuna, what did you see when you went? I, I know you were in the next world already. What did you see when you were in the next world? Amalehei, he said to him, I'll tell you the truth, he says, you were right what you said. Indeed it was so. I was about to die. But at the last minute, God walked into the Bezdin that was judging me, and Hashem said, since he does not stand on his principle, he's tolerant of others doing wrong to him, do not take such a strict stand against him. Shenema, naise avoin, overlook a person's sin, if that person overlooks another person's sin to him. She says, really, I was dead. And really, I was in the next world. Why did, why did the Bezin Shalmaila let me come back to this world? Because Hashem said that since I overlook what other people do, what I overlook what other people do to me, Hashem can overlook what I'm doing, the various that I did to him. So this is a very big secret. Elul, now that we're in the month of Elul, right? This is a very big secret how to prepare for the Yom din in the next 30 days if you can nobody should hurt you and nobody should say anything against you but if you can be Maral Midaisov and the people that are hurting you just the opposite instead of getting angry and taking revenge but to do things for them and to forgive them then you have this Koyach that even if the Bezin Shalmaila wants to make you trouble next year God will interfere for you you know say no not her you can't you can't she is Maral Midaisov she she forgives other people we automatically me the Kanega, me the have to forgive her. So Elul tonight is, of course, it happens to be the yard side of my grandfather. Um, my grandfather's name was Chaim Ben Shmaya. It's my mother's father. Actually, my name is Zechaya Shimon. My name was supposed to be Zechaya Shmaya. I was supposed to be named after my great grandfather, this grandfather's father. But when they when they told my uncle. They want to name me Zechariah Shmaya. He said they're going to make fun of him in school. Zechariah Shmaya, Zechariah Shmaya. So they, they decided to name me Zechariah Shimon instead of Zechariah Shmaya. So, but anyway, it's his yard site. And um, he was a very, very, very special man. Him and my grandmother, all of Shalom, who were seven years in the Philippines. Um, when, they left, when they left Germany to come to America, they didn't allow the boat here. They sent the boat to the Philippines. They were one of the two religious couples in the whole of the Philippines. When the American boys came and captured the Japanese, it was Pesach, and they needed a Seder, and they went to my grandmother. My grandmother made the Seder in the Philippines, and uh, we even know some of the soldier, American from soldiers that we that went to that Seder. I happen to know one that lived in Muncie, whatever it was, and I think there were 25 people at the Seder and one chicken. So you have to understand what was going on. They had one chicken because they had one sheikhit, whatever. One chicken, 25, 25 people at the Seder. And they li- all they lived off over there was, was coconut 
and, and mango. That was it. My mother said, what you can learn from Hashem, the coconut, right, in the Philippines, the coconut did everything for them. The oil was the oil that they used. The milk was, they used, the shell was used as a bowl, right? The, the coconut, from the coconut, their whole life came. Every piece of the coconut was used. Every piece of the coconut. But um, they were there for seven years, and my grandfather, they kept from, and they stayed from, and 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 Baruch Hashem brought up a very, you know, very from family. I told you about my grandmother, just so we understand a little bit, HaKarsatov, that we need to have today. I mean, we, you can't even, my, my mother grew up, she, she um, there was no yeshiva or anything like that, so she was forced to go to a, to a, a, a Christian Catholic school, and she was this Jewish kid in a Catholic school, and, and she had to learn the, the, the Japanese national anthem, she still knows it, it's pretty weird. Um, and my, my grandmother, so, so, so there was no mikvah, there was no such thing as a mikvah for a woman in the Philippines, there was no mikvah in the Philippines, but it's on the ocean. So my grandmother had to go to the mikvah. So she went with the other Jewish lady that was with her, because you have to have somebody else watch the woman go down. Her name was Mrs. Hershout, happens to be one of the biggest cancer doctors. Dr. Hershout, you should never know from him, is that woman's son. My mother and Dr. Hershout were, grew up together in the Philippines. So, so, so my, mo- my grandmother had to go to the mikvah. So she went to the ocean. Now the Japanese were there, right? Because they, they knocked out the Americans. Now the Japanese were there. And they caught my grandmother and this Mrs. Hershout coming. I don't know what that is, but whatever. Um, somebody's phone. Anyway, so the Japanese see these two white women because again they, they didn't they didn't they didn't hate Jews the Japanese didn't hate Jews but they hated whites they were they would they were my, my my grandparents were German they were white so they hated the Filipinos they killed many Filipinos and they also didn't like the whites so here you have these two white women coming out of the ocean at night and the Japanese don't know nothing about Judaism so they were a hundred percent sure that these two women were American spies the way they used to talk from ships is they used to use Morse code with lights. So they were sure that these two women came to the ocean to, to give information to the American ships. Why else would two women be in the ocean in the middle of the night? So they took my grandmother, she was this big, and grandma was this tall. Because her shot was a little taller, little teeny women. And they grabbed, they, they schlepped them by their hair, right? And they schlepped them to the commandant, the, the head Japanese. Now you have to understand, they were savages. They, they killed their own people. They, if you looked at the guy wrong, they shot him. Life by them has absolutely no meaning whatsoever. So they, they were sure they were going, that's it, they're going to kill them both. And they, they, they grab, they take my grandmother and Mrs. Hershot, and he points to the ocean, in Japanese, like, what, what, what are you doing in the water? Whatever it is. Mrs. Hershot starts talking in German to this Japanese who doesn't understand a word she's saying, and Jew, mikvah, Jew, whatever the Japanese like. Every time she opened her mouth, he, you know, they had these sticks, these batons, he hit her, he hit my grandmother and her, these two little women. Beat them so bad, my grandmother said. Beat them and beat them and beat them. And she, this is my little, little Yekisha lady. She says to me, you should know. I wish he would have beat me more. I said, oh my. Wow, what kind of wish is that? And she said, listen, listen to what they were all about. And they were, they were not, they were modern German Jews, okay? This is what my grandmother said to me. Every time he hit me, I said, Hashem, give me another year of life. And he hit me again, and she said, Hashem, give me another. He said, imagine he would hit me 20 more times. She was, she was already like 90 at that point. I would live till 110. I wish he would have hit me more. 
Baruch Hashem, today, Taras HaMashpacha, you don't got to go get beat, you don't got to go into the ocean. You understand the Sakana? And did she ever complain? Was she ever depressed? And why did Hashem do this to me? And I got to go get help. And I got to go take medicine. And I, she was the happiest Oma in the whole world. That lady was so happy. The worst day of her life was when she turned 90. And the Chavra Kadisha came to her house and said to her, Mrs. Holzer, really, we just we think you need to retire from the Chavra Kadisha of Washington Heights. You're 90 years old. Your hands are shaking. We really think that at 90 you should retire. She was so insulted, I remember. She was like, what? I'm only 90, I'm young. It was my grandmother. She was the happiest person in the world. Of course, she was a yekka, so she was very clean. And Hanukkah wasn't allowed to go into the into the living room. She already, it was Hanukkah, it was clean. I mean, for Pesach, it was clean. Hanukkah, she clean, it was already clean for Pesach. My father, I'll leave you with this. My father, when he got married, my father, Oliver Shalom, so... By the Shabbat they stayed by my grandmother. She had a two-room apartment in Washington Heights. So he said that he went to sleep, and in the middle of the night, he got up. He had to go to the bathroom. By the time he came back to the room, the bed was made. <laughs> that was my grandmother. It's a joke, but it could have happened. Anyway, so that, that you know, that Mesiras Nefesh, we have to learn from that. They had such a car, I told my, I mean, one chicken, a coconut, they had such a car, for everything in the worst time, in the worst bloody, torturous time of Klayusrov, that a karsatov for a coconut. You have to be able to recognize the good. Even in the worst of times, there's good. You have to be able to recognize that good. If you recognize that good, if you recognize the strings on a violin make music, and that Hakash Bokhu brought music in the world for us, if you recognize that, it will change your whole life. Ani Ledaidi Ledaidi Li. This month is Elo. Ani Ledaidi. It's first, it's our move this month, not Hashem's move. It's me to my loved one, and my loved one is to me. I need Ludaidi. I am to Hashem, and Hashem is to me. In Elul, God wants you to make the first move. How to make that first move? Maral mi Change something in your life. Take on something extra. Whatever it is. But we need to make the first move. But before you make the first move, girls, you need to spend some time with yourselves. Because the first word in Elul is I need. If you don't know who I need is, the rest of the letters make no sense. So, for you to have a relationship with someone else, you first have to know who you are. I need Ladaidi, but if I don't know who I need is, there can't be an I need Ladaidi. If there's not a Ladaidi, there's not a Ladaidi Lee. So, the first word in Elo, the first preparation of, of, of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur is to find out who am I? What I do last year, what I take on last Rosh Hashanah that I thought I was going to change that I didn't change, what did I take on that I did change. You got to spend time with the Ani. We need to spend more time, less time with the I, and more time with the Ani. Chap? No. Less time with the iPhone, less time with the I, and more time with the Ani, and then we'll have a very good Elul and Mitzvah Shem that'll lead us to a good Rosh Hashanah Kippur. Mashiach will come this year, Mitzvah Shem. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.